This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout-out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. So for now, hey, our fearless friends, here's Lisa Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, I am joined by yet another phenomenal guest. My guest today is a spitfire by the name of Kim Fisk. So who is Kim? Well, Kim has spent the past three years writing her new best-selling book, The Monster Under the Bed, over, under, sorry, Uncovering the Lie That Drives Us. Her insights have come from not only dealing with her own monster, but the thousands of people she has coached in her career, which has spanned multiple decades. Kim is an L- NLP practitioner a certified coach of life planning, a seven-figure income earner in relationship marketing, member of the Association of Network Marketing Professionals, member of the National Speakers Association, eWomen Network Platinum member, PRO member of the Association of Network Marketing Professional and a member of the American Business Women's Association. Unbelievable. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Kim, how are you, my friend? Oh, I am very well. After hearing that, I'm like, wow, (laughs) who do you have on here? Holy smokes. Who is this trailblazer? (laughs) Unbelievable. Well, you know, this is why you're on the show, Kim, because I'm always, you know, it's not just about the success. It's not just about the laundry list of accolades and so forth, which, of course, you embody and good on you for that. But to aspire to that level, it requires a certain level of DNA, a certain level of mindset and choice. Uh, every single day as to how you're going to perform, how you're going to show up not only in your life, but in the lives of other people, uh, so that you truly can fulfill and honor what's integral to you in in respect to what is my purpose. So I just want to say good for you. Thank you for the gift of your time. This has been in the works for quite some time, and I'm really grateful uh, that we get to showcase you today and share you with the loyal listeners and the podcast subscribers. So once again, thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me because my one of the biggest purpose I have is to contribute. And um, when I hear stories back of people who maybe my message has touched or you know shifted for some reason and help them find relief and joy and purpose and what all you know to be a part of that is is huge. So your listenership is a gift to me. So thank you. 
Well, thank you. And people like you, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Uh, yeah. You know, I interview people who are always consistently paying it forward and being of service. And so although this is showcasing you and hopefully driving more traffic towards you, the purpose behind that is because you're doing instrumental things to shift change in people's lives, which is People are hungry for that. This is crucial yeah. right now. And uh, people are sponging this up. And I know your mes- message is going to resonate. So, Kim, as everybody knows, this is unscripted. It's it's organic. I think it makes for a much more authentic conversation piece because you never quite know where this is going to go. Um, <laughs> which That's I the love. story of my life right there. Exactly. <laughs> we never quite know where it's going to go. My husband always worries like, oh, my gosh, Kim, did you just say that? How are you going to get out of this one? And it ends up happening. It's okay. So it's so funny. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so let's just dive right in. I like to go deep very quickly at the beginning, at the top of the hour. So I would like to know specifically, what are the monsters that you have personally encountered, have had to overcome, and how have you taken whatever the challenge, the adversity was within that to turn that into a life lesson, not only the application of your own journey and mapping out a beautiful tapestry in your own life, but therefore, again, paying it forward to be instrumental as the example for other people going forward. What are those monsters? Well, let me just give a little background about, uh, like, I think what you're asking too is how did they apply to me? That's where it all starts is, is our own inner work and then, mm. uh, and then noticing the patterns that show up in ourselves. And then when you're working with others, those similar patterns. And so over my life, uh, I started very young realizing that I, um, I did have a few jobs like employment wise, but I kind of learned early on that I really was a, uh, inspired to be an entrepreneur. I really wanted to go create. And in that world, early on in network marketing, relationship marketing, any kind of people business where your income is dependent on your activity, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, I learned early on that this was a personal development university. Like, and those, you know, people that are, that have that kind of income work harder on themselves because they realize that, wow, if, if this is to be, it's up to me. So I got to go to work on myself. So I did that early on and I noticed patterns that I had looking back over my life. I mean, early on, I'm talking like mid twenties, mid to late twenties. I started really waking up what I call like to, to who I was and, Mm -hmm. and what I loved inside myself. Well, I also noticed these tendencies I had to um, have to prove and have to be special and have to be the most special and like this driving energy. And I'd leave a wake of damaged relationships or, you know, like residue in conversations with people. And I would notice that, Oh, that feels icky after I became aware of what was going on. So over the years after that, uh, and then I'd go to work on myself and go to work on myself and start listening to my thoughts instead of believing them. And I was coaching people and training people and mentoring people and, and I would notice, Lisa, the same, uh, the same tendencies, no matter how outwardly anyone seemed, no matter how beautiful, perfect, successful, rich, um, outwardly they seemed, everyone had this little voice. Everyone had the little voice that mm-hmm. said, in a nutshell, I'm not okay. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not perfect. I'm not smart. Like, one of those configurations and we're all kind of, well, like our fingerprints, we're all kind of configured differently, but the root of all of those came down to, I'm not okay as I am. And so I went on a really, uh, I just was intrigued by that. Like, 
I thought from my Christian upbringing, I was thinking, well, maybe this is a spiritual thing. Like, you know, it's the flesh and it's the devil or it's the whatever. But mm -hmm. I mean, even people that were supposedly, you know, not uh, already Christians or super Christians or whatever you want to call them. Like they still struggled with that voice. And I mm -hmm. was a super Christian and I still struggled with that voice. So that didn't make sense. So I really went into like a brain, how our brains were wired and what were products of today. And so that's the premise that early, like the first three chapters of the book, just go into a geek on this brain science, like our survival brain was all we had. And it's an emotional brain. It had no language. There was no reasoning. Have you ever tried reasoning with a two-year-old? Like, <laughs> it doesn't, right? It doesn't work. <laughs> they don't have the equipment. They just don't have it. And all they know is how they feel. And even studies, like some of the stuff I talk about, I don't even know how much I put in the book actually compared to what I know, but like, like a newborn baby's cortisol levels will rise when there's negative energy fighting or any kind of negative stuff going on around them. That's how sensitive we are from an emotional standpoint with, and, but we don't have any way of processing it. Like we could, didn't lay there at six months old when our mom and dad were fighting and lay there and go, Oh, they must've really had a rough day. Poor mom. She's tired and depressed. Oh, dad's overworked. Like we had no way of processing it. <laughs> so, so we laid there seriously. Uh, this is all my metaphor here. The monster under the bed is, um, this, this, and I say the word lie, but that sounds very, um, deceptive, but it's actually an untruth that was, uh, created emotionally and embedded emotionally inside of us that we had. And that has driven us the rest of our life because when we became more and more cognizant of, um, of language, of reasoning, that belief, that truth was already emotionally in us because little babies, little, you know, two-year-old kids, number one, their survival brain is wired to process. Everything is about them. Everything that happens around them is about them, which by the way, we still are that way. Yeah. Um, without investigation, we still, most, <laughs> still are. Wait, wait, what did they... That, they looked at me funny. They mean, that must mean they hate me. You know, they, everything's yep. about me, but a little kid has no way to investigate that thought. And if you notice some, uh, stories of maybe yourself or, or people, you know, it didn't just happen to them. It happened because of them. Mm. So, uh, kids of, well, and even in my story, when I look back emotionally, like logically my adult Kim says my mom and dad got divorced when I was four. Mm -hmm. And my dad divorced my mom because he didn't want to be married to my mom anymore. And as an adult, I can process that. In fact, he got remarried on their divorce day. So wow. Kim knows he was probably having an affair. And, you know, I love my dad. He's a great dad. But, you know, these were the facts of life as my adult brain processed. But when I go back to how little Kimmy processed this, then it all starts to make sense. Because little Kimmy at three and four, and you know that probably even all four years of my life were probably not real happy in my environment if by the age of four they were divorced. I don't think it happened overnight. So I, I look back and go, wait, little Kimmy who decided my identity, like who my identity was really, really created from, decided something about herself, myself, that I wasn't good enough. And my configuration was my dad left because he left, he didn't leave my mom. 
he left me. Mm. He left me because, and the word, the word and the little configuration I came up with, which everybody has a little different, you know, way of processing it. But mine was average. I was only average and I needed to be more special. So those were the words looking back in my life, all the times I was triggered because your survival brain doesn't deal with your logical brain at all. It's still, uh, there's no language around the survival, emotional brain, the limbic brain, the amygdala. So your, your messages are only felt with fight or flight, basically the two big ones, fight, flight. And so little Kimmy felt like, uh Oh, in fact, my, my assertion is, doesn't have to be right, but it fits my theory, is that flight actually came first. Like when I felt like I wasn't okay, I wanted to hide. I wanted to run away. And, oh, oh, no, don't look. Don't see me because I'm bad. I'm not good enough. Whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like the flight message, I believe, probably comes first and then on its heels, because we have to be okay in our community. We're community species. We're, we're a primate. We, we have to be taken care of by these people. So the fight message on the heels say, no, 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 you do this, do this, do this, prove, earn, be, be, be better, be better, be better. But both of those messages were not based on a truthful assessment. <laughs> they were based on an inaccurate, illogical, emotionally driven Um, belief, which is what I call the lie that drives us. And so my whole identity, I look back and go, oh, that's why I had to be special. And not in every area of my life. Like I'm not special everywhere, but in these certain things that mattered, I guess, to me growing up, my family was very musical. I grew up in church singing and performing and like playing the piano. Like I don't remember ever being scared, being in front of people speaking because I grew up singing when I was like three, you know, Mm -hmm. in church. And so you know, I was, I had to be more and more and more special. And in my network marketing businesses, I had to be the the most special, but see a phrase I say in the book a lot is you can't, you can't get enough of what you never needed to begin with. Oh, I love that. Say that again, please. You can never get enough of what you never needed to begin with. Okay. That's powerful. Yeah. And that's what I was driving me. It's like, well, if I could just be this, if I could, and I've worked with people, seriously, the people I've coached and mentored and trained, like I'll hear this same tendency. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. I made a hundred thousand last year, but oh no, 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 no. It's not, I got to get to 150 and, and, uh, 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 and it's like, well, 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 well wait, your goal last year was a hundred thousand. You made that yay for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, I can't do mm-hmm. like, you know, you and, and working in the health and weight loss industry that I have for the last 12 years, I see it with women with their weight and their bodies. Like I can't be ever perfect, skinny, beautiful enough. Mm-hmm. And some, it's a very, it's a very scary place to be when you're dealing with your health because there are women that kill themselves basically trying to get to this beautiful, perfect um, place that they never needed to see. This is the thing. Um, when you start, it's, it's the wiring, it's the mental wiring. There's a, there's a, a law that's called Hebb's law. And, um, it says what fires together wires together. This is how our brains and our emotional thought loop was created. The grooves in our little kid road over our lifetime that every time we had a thought like, Oh, oh I'm not okay. Oh yeah. I better be okay. I better be, uh, 
then see that creates that emotional thought and we mm -hmm. become like muscle memory and it fires and wires and fires and wires, repetition, repetition, repetition. And we just think it's true. Right. Right. right? Well, you, you said, you said a lot of very pivotal instrumental things, but I want to go back and I want to delve deeper on something specifically you said, and your metaphor is very much exemplify it and illustrate it beautifully. But what I love that you said is I listen to my thoughts instead of believing my thoughts. And so when we talk about false beliefs, we talk about false concepts, we talk about the indoctrination of the old scripts that we know on some level, call it conscious, subconscious level, we know isn't aligned with who we now are. Because as you get older, regardless of whatever was going on in each of our own individual homes, uh, whether it be the, the roles and the scripts that were played out, gender, whatever the case may be, even the church, even the school system, uh, dynamics within the family, we get to a point where we go, okay, does that really serve me? Does, do I really believe that? Or do I feel a compulsion to pretend and make out that I still subscribe to that because I don't want to disappoint other people mm -hmm. or people may abandon me. People may alienate me. People mm -hmm. may see me as crazy or whatever the case may be. So yeah, listening to your thoughts instead of believing your thoughts. And so it's like we say, you know, critical thinking, whether you're turning on the news or you're buying into a survey and what stats suggest what, you know, it's not just about doing your homework and being a critical thinker, being a critical consumer about all that's out there in the external world. You've got to first go deep within, as you mentioned, we talk about this extensively on my program, doing the work, because mm -hmm. how can you know what you buy into or believe in if you don't even know who you are or what you're apt to believe in or to fall into the category of thinking, okay, that's, that's the general consensus. I don't want to deviate from that because then I'll be seen as a freak. So yeah, I'm going to just naturally, you know, for the sake of airs, for the sake of not rocking the apple cart, I'm just going to pretend that I still believe in that. But that's the lie we tell ourselves. And then everything gets built around that foundational lie. Yep. That's exactly right. And until you're ready to do that work, You'll just keep playing out these cycles in your life. Like, yes. you know, how many people just keep either attracting the, these people into their lives? They still have mm. these conflicts. They live in passive aggressive relationships where, you know, we blame. In the book, I talk about that there's 10 monster tracks. That's what I call them. And actually, since the book, I've discovered like three more. So I don't think I'm done. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like number one monster track, and I believe this is the epicenter because it's shame. I think flight message mm. is shame. And because in fact, I have a theory. Do you want to hear my poop theory? Absolutely. Can I talk about poop on your show? Oh, you can even say shit. <laughs> Go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I'm talking though as a little kid and, and I used to like not let my kids say shit. So anyway, <laughs> but you're right. So listen, I don't know. Do you have kids? Yes, I have two. Okay. How old are they? Uh, my son's 10 and my daughter, who's 18 months younger, is turning nine in March. Okay. So this is going to be closer to your memory, maybe, obviously, than a lot of people I deal with, because it wasn't long ago. I don't know if you remember this, but when they were, think of this time frame, they're in a diaper mm -hmm. and but you're not really potty training them. They're just toddling around. They're too young still to potty train. So whatever age that is, like a year to two years or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And did you ever notice that when they needed to 
like they went missing for a little while. <laughs> right? Yeah. Where did they go? Uh, they usually hid somewhere and then crouched down behind a couch or back in the room or wherever they felt that they could not be seen. Yeah. And they're red eyed. They come out red eyed like they'd been grunting. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Thank you. I didn't even I didn't even you know, you knew exactly what I was talking about. And so when I was right, I didn't this story didn't make the book, by the way. This came after when I was really thinking about shame. And I'm thinking that behavior is really shame. That's a be. That behavior, who taught them to go hide? They didn't do it to pee. They Mm. just did it to poop. And I'm thinking, where did they get shamed? Whatever happened bad to them that made them feel like they were ashamed to poop, to Mm. go hide? Then it hit me. What did did we do when we changed their diaper and it was a poopy diaper from like whatever age? What did you do? Well, we, we might make fun of it, turn our nose up and go, oh, stinky diaper, stinky poopy or whatever, right? Yep, yep. This is exactly my point about nonverbal, no language, no reasoning. But they knew emotionally that well, my husband sometimes would just gag, Kim, come here, this one's yours. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know it, he was really sensitive to that. So, but think of what they, think of the child. And if you're changing poopy diapers right now, listening to this, rethink this because Honestly, even though we meant no nothing ill about it, like we, mm-hmm. of course, there was no problem, but we'd make faces. Ooh, just stinky, just stinky. Like there was something about this behavior to that baby, and they didn't know what it was with language or reasoning, but they knew something was wonky, right? They knew, mm-hmm. and dad, these people are acting funny about when I do this. See, they make right. these immense these emotional connections, and so now they're getting more cognitive, and they go, oh, they. Oh, I got to do that thing again. Oh, I better go not let them see me. See how early shame can set in? Well, you know, it's funny though. I'll, I'll kind of, I'll kind of extrapolate upon that. So, you know, it's funny because I can recall on a couple of occasions where both my children would crouch and, you know, after they had a stinky diaper and they were trying to hide, but it didn't stop them from smearing it on the walls very proudly. So, I mean, obviously there was no shame being instilled or, you know, that became yeah, their like early their fight canvas. Like, take, yes, exactly. <laughs> like I feel bad about it, but now I'm mad that I feel bad. So here you go. Now it, yeah, it's, we're going to do, we're going to turn this into art therapy, mom. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this is my rebellion coming out. Like, yeah. honestly, it is interesting and that, but see, to your point, when we talked about, when you start looking from an observer standpoint, instead of an aligner standpoint. So I talk about this in the book and a lot of the work that I do, I work from, so like shame is monster track number one, self-judgment. I mean, judgment and shame. If I could rewrite the book today, I would probably put self-judgment and shame, their partners in crime. The minute, minute you do something that then you judge yourself and then you go to shame, you know, self-judgment and shame might even be, you know, synonymous on some levels, but then like things like comparison, how many times do we look around and we see social media, you know, obviously is a great place where this pushes the button of, of, um, comparison, like, Oh, everybody's better than I am. Look at Mm -hmm. them. Look at them. I, I suck. They're good. Um, they're perfect. Um, also all or nothing thinking like when it's either I'm and in the diet weight loss health world, I saw that all the time, either I'm on or I'm off. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So if I'm off, well, therefore, because I'm going to start again tomorrow, I'm just, I'm going to be all in tomorrow. So today I'm just going to keep eating last supper, last supper, last supper. And this is how dieters, the number one cause of weight gain is dieting, by the way. Yes. It is. And so this is why it's because it's the all or nothing people that work. I'm either all or nothing out, uh, workaholics. I either, I have to work, 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 work. Cause if I don't, then I'm going to, then all the fear kicks in about, you know, I can't enjoy myself it, or they go completely away. People that are uh, in sales, they'll stop working and go, Oh, uh, and then they hate themselves for it. And then it's just this vicious cycle. And mm-hmm. Then like blame, you know, blame is a monster track and it's, it's our brain's natural default setting to blame when something goes wrong. It isn't a character flaw. It isn't a moral deficiency. It's actually our brains were wired. Our survival brains wired us to not have anything be our fault because that Mm -hmm. could mean we could die. So once you start noticing these patterns, but you have to move to observer, you can't stay in a liner. You can't stay, um, I mean, you can, that's where we've all stayed is, and we get stuck there because we believe our thoughts. We believe the, the, the wiring that, that we came from. It's still the three-year-old in the driver's seat emotionally for most of us, unless we investigate and do the work of rewiring. And, uh, that's, what's so exciting. It's like, oh my gosh. Well, given that you said that I'm going to put the mirror back on you. I want to know, I mean, okay. So we've got adult Kim, who's very successful, uh, studies this, is an expert in this, understands all the stats, understands the wiring, understands the underbelly of all of it. But there's also little Kimmy. So how does little Kimmy reconcile or vice versa, adult Kim reconcile with little Kimmy in the moments that the hiccups that flare up where you know you're cognizant because you're you know, your level of self-awareness is through the roof and this is what you do for a living. Uh, and this is the repetition, repetition of the jargon that you would be having with your clients. Mm -hmm. So in those moments where whatever trips you up or whatever unforeseen circumstance shows up where it's either a trigger for you or you're going back into the old role, old script, old mindset, what are those situations or circumstances where you still have to really make a concerted effort to do the work so as to revert back to, uh, or not revert, but, but maintain Mm -hmm. where you are today? Mm -hmm. You know, I can see why you are so successful at what you do because your questions are great. That's a great question. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. Very great question. So um, a couple of things to answer you. And if I get off track, just bring me back because I can go off on Little, There's no such thing you know. as off track on this program at all. <laughs> it's all interconnected. It's all okay. intersected and it all makes sense. I leave windows open. That's what I call it. Like when I do events, I'll go, okay, did I leave any windows open? Cause I got to go back and close <laughs> the windows, right? The little tabs. Tabs. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, um, okay. So a couple of things. So number one is learning how to um, move from reactive mode, reactive mind to responsive mind. So those two distinctions are huge from being reactionary to response able response. And I just use those two distinctions. It doesn't mean those words are the absolute right words for you, but Mm -hmm. reactive means, you know, exactly. My buttons pushed, I'm exploding. I'm, I move quickly. In fact, button pushing is a monster track. When you get your button pushed, you're easily angered, easily offended. People, you know, make you want to, you know, rip their face off. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> not that I've experienced any of those people, of course, but you we're know. not violent <laughs> listeners. We're not violent. We're not endorsing you go that route. We're just saying, let's be real about how we feel internally. Yeah. Well, that's a real feeling. I mean, yes, but he has that feeling at some point. So now you moving from reactive to responsive, it takes some, it's, it takes some preparation. So one of the things I have people do is learn just to breathe, like do some deep breathing because physiologically deep breathing will absolutely put you in touch with your, um, you see your prefrontal cortex brain. I never said this part. Your emotional brain is old. It's old, old, old. And it's the, you're born with it, blah, blah, blah. It's got some default wiring settings already there, but your, your new, the new brain that's so powerful that very few people are really taking advantage of is the prefrontal cortex. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't fully develop till the mid twenties. So you can see why by the time you're mid twenties, your survival brain and your little child has ruled the roost. You've just learned how to justify it, rationalize it, and make it sound really, really smart uh, with your prefrontal cortex brain. That's The thinking brain really is there just to cover up. Without investigation, without realizing the power of that brain, you're just going to use it to justify, rationalize, and stay stuck. Mm -hmm. based on the decision your emotional brain makes. So one of the first keys I have people do, and you know, I'm sure you know this from internal work, you've got to breathe. Yes. Breathing, breathing opens the door to it because without it, without deep breathing, you're going to be reactionary and your, your survival brain's going to, your emotional brain will rule the roost. How many of you have been in an emotional heated conversation and you say things, number one, that are probably more true than not, but you would never say them uh, but you just kind of lost control, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because you can't, both of those brains can't be, um, you're either acting on your emotional brain or your, your, uh, the thinking, the prefrontal cortex brain. If the, if the emotional brain is triggered, see when you're in fight or flight mode, just think about this, your, your body, your, your brain is all about, Hey, you're going to die. It doesn't know that you're just upset at a coworker, your boss, your stuff. <laughs> it doesn't know. Right. There's no connection still to the emotional brain and the logical brain. Zero connection. Your emotional brain, it says your it the language it speaks is your emotion. So when you get worked up about something, usually from fear, it says run away or fight. Mm -hmm. And that's all it says. It doesn't say because because it doesn't give you access to your logical brain. It shuts mm -hmm. down your logical brain. Cause you don't, if you're going to die, you don't need to sit there and analyze why that saber tooth tiger, what trajectory it's on and how it's speed it's going to go. Like it doesn't care that you logically know anything. It just wants you to get out of there, hide, mm -hmm. play dead or fight. So now imagine in a, in a situation in your life, a conflict. Uh, but if you learn to breathe and you start wiring these, uh, the more true self, the truer self, uh, part of you gets a chance to get wired when you just breathe and focus on breathing is keeps you centered into the moment. And right now is perfect. See when you're breathing, you don't breathe last year. You don't breathe yesterday. You don't breathe an hour ago. You breathe right now mm. and now. Oh yeah. Now. And mm -hmm. when you start focusing on now, not because also our panic fear based brain is going to also look at 
an hour from now, what's going to happen? And we start playing out pictures in our minds. We start playing out, well, you know what's going to happen if I confront that? You know what's going to happen when I get home and he gets that way and they get that way. And uh oh, see, we're already playing that out. But when you breathe and you really practice focusing on your breath, and some people go, well, I can't meditate, Kim. My mind's, I can't shut my mind off. Well, that, who, let's not call it that. Let's mm-hmm. call it. Let's just notice our breath and notice all the thoughts we have without judgment. What if that was meditation? What if that was all you needed to do was go breathe from the deepest part of your belly and physiologically get calm? It calms, mm-hmm. automatically calms you. You know this, Lisa. Yes. It will automatically calm you. And then when all these thoughts come by, this is moving to observer. In fact, let me just do a little exercise with you guys. Close your eyes if you want. I just mm-hmm. close. And say hi to yourself in your mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you do it? Mm-hmm. Did you hear it? I did. Hmm. Interesting. So you said it and you heard it. When people start realizing there's an observer, part of your brain that is pure, pure, pure love. There is absolutely, I love this vision, this visual uh, idea inside me because the observer, the observer that just watches without judgment. So when I breathe and I do what is maybe some people call meditation, I try to just move to align with this observer because the observer hears and sees and the, the, the thinker is going to be wired by my little self. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I hear myself, see, cause I, now I just distinguish the, the, the speaker, the thinker, you know, and the observer, I distinguish them too. They're two things. Oh, and I identify in the book, I call it chatter that I don't identify with the chatter anymore. And here's how that sounds. Uh, an aligner with the chatter would say something like, I'm so stupid. Oh my gosh. Why did I do that again? I suck. Why do I do that? See, I did that yesterday. I did that before. I always do that. That's aligning. Mm -hmm. And that those are the thoughts that come streaming through and that trigger those emotional thought, those emotion, that emotional thought loop is wired. Okay. Now, when you move to observer, this is how it will sound and feel. It'll feel very different because you're not going to feel the wonky emotion. You're going to go, Oh, isn't that interesting how I, the chatter said I was stupid? Isn't that interesting that the chatter said I always do that? Wow, interesting. Mm. I'm looking at it more like a science project, like I would if I was just gathering the data of my brain mm-hmm. instead of aligning with it. Well, you'll feel such peace. So to answer your question, when I get triggered, and absolutely I still get triggered, I can guarantee it's not as much as before because I've done rewiring, right? Mm-hmm. But I look at triggers as a positive thing to begin with. How yes. I trigger is way different than what I used to say back in the day. Um, I Now I say, like, if my husband pushes my button, like the other day he said something. Well, guess what? When I investigated it after I exploded, but I exploded and then I went, wait, 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 wait. I, I stopped it right after the explosion and I blew up at him and I go, oh, because now those triggers, I've wired myself to look at those as my little uh, check engine light, like on yes. your car, right? Yes. 
Mm-hmm. You don't you don't see the little check engine light and go, oh, I hate that check engine. I'm gonna shoot, I'm gonna <laughs> smash that check engine light. How dare it come on? You don't do that. You go, oh, oh, that means I better go check something, right? There right. might be something going on in my car. That's how if you can rewire even the trigger to to think of it as a check engine, now I'm gonna go, oh, thank you for showing me that. Mm-hmm. You didn't have a check engine, you'd blow up your transmission, you'd blow up your radiator, right? <laughs> right. So you're thankful. Yes. Okay, there's I have to say there's a few there's again, this is such a yummy interview and you're saying so many back to back amazing things and so I'm trying to keep hold of this because I have simultaneous thoughts so if we talk about the breathing aspect if you're really focused on your breathing what I parallel that to in terms of an analogy it's like when you're focused on your breathing you're not focused on the emotional that put you in the state of making that decision of if I focus on my breathing then I, I eradicate that negative thought I compare that to it's the same thing with volunteerism. If you're in a crappy space, it's almost impossible to go be of service to somebody else who perhaps in that moment has a a more dire uh, type circumstance and not to negate what everybody's own personal experiences. But when you're giving back and you know that you're uplifting other people's emotions, it's very hard to walk out of that situation of knowing you've changed the direction and the focus of that person's day or mood or disposition or thought process themselves and still feel like you're in that same energetic space before you embarked upon being of assistance and being accessible and showing up for other people. So that's my analogy with the breathing. You also said, um, when you talk about doing the work, you know, and you're talking, you use, you know, everything is about universal signs. I believe the more tapped in, plugged in we are, the more awakened we are, and this is all a choice. The universe is forever presenting and putting in our path signs and symbols. And I'm a very abstract thinker, so I don't look at things from a one-dimensional standpoint in terms of there's everything's got deeper meaning and there's symbolism and and it it trickles down to every other aspect of life or emotion. And so when I think of doing the work, I think of Byron Katie. Byron Katie always says, ask yourself, you know, within that observer mode, is this is true? It true? Mm-hmm. Is it true? You know, do I suck? Is that really true? And the other thing that you said, and I, I, I parallel that with something I oftentimes say on radio too, you know, because we are in our own heads, I don't care how supportive your support system is, or if you've got the most wonderful, significant partner in the world, or you've got great children, I don't care what your infrastructure of support is. At the end of the day, when you remove all of that, you're still left with you and it's you that's in your own head 24 seven. So what I say to people is if you can get outside of yourself and treat yourself no differently than you would somebody else as a compassionate, as an empathetic, as a nurturer, loving, kind human being. If somebody's coming to your doorstep and they're confiding in you and they're saying, you know what, I am so struggling with this. I'm having a shit day. I'm having, you know, things are not going well for me right now. Or I had this unforeseen encounter. I didn't know where the person was coming from, but now I've got this controversy going on. You know, would you sit there one and let that person defecate all over themselves? No, you wouldn't. You would step in and say, do I need to remind you, this is what you're great at. This is what you stand for. This is how people regard you. This is how you're, you're characterized and looked upon by other people. But more importantly, 
you have to treat yourself, talk to yourself, consume the same kinds of thoughts no differently than what you would be pumping out to your best friend or your partner or a stranger who you still feel compelled to smile at and ask and inquire how they are or wish somebody your love, have a great day, good luck on your your book, you know, good on you for this. You know, you've got to, and I say this, you've got to be your own hero, you've got to be your own shiro, you've got to be your own leader and you've got to be your own best friend because if you don't believe in you, nobody else is going to believe in you. But nine times out of 10, we are pre-wired that we give other people the benefit of the doubt. We are instantaneously other people's cheerleaders, whether it be a paid client or just another fellow citizen or a neighbor across the street. So if we have it in us to be that, do that, and shine other people's light on themselves, we have to remember we're no different. We're not a second-class citizen. We are not less worthy. We are not less deserving. So we need to make sure that we are saying and feeding ourselves with the exact same kindness and love as what we would intuitively feel only inherently uh, responsible and instantaneously forthcoming with for other people. Well, there's a scripture that says, love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, but, here, but here's the issue with that, is that, and when what I hear you saying is very cool, very absolutely, absolutely, I say amen. The, where the rubber meets the road with that, however, is without doing, without realizing your inherent worth yep. in, in and of itself, you will never look at someone else's success and say, good on you. It will always be a comparative reality. It will always be a, mm, you're good, I'm not good. It's going to be- Sour grapes. It's yeah. going to be that. It's going to be, or like I know in the weight loss world, how many times my clients would lose weight and their their friends hated them. Like, what are you? You better than me? You be, Like, this has nothing to do with you. This mm-hmm. is not about you. But see, that's how our brains, that's how we're wired from our survival standpoint is everything's about us. And so when you go, wait, you said that snide remark to me. Uh, how dare you? It wasn't meant to you. It was because I had a bad day. It was because, see, you can't love others more than you love yourself. You just right. won't. So doing the inner work on ourselves, loving and re- rewiring. There's another facet of our brain I think I have time to talk about. Do I? From your side? Uh- Yeah, we are winding down, and I do want to give you an opportunity to let it be known to listeners and subscribers where they can tune into, where they can reach out to, yes. Okay, well, let me tell you this really quick thing. I call them mental bloodhounds in the book, but it's the part of your brain that is there to filter out anything unnecessary, like because there's so much stimulus in our world. Like right now I'm sitting, I'm actually in Mexico right now. I know, don't hate me. But like <laughs> I see the, you know, I, I, there's birds, there's wind, there's ocean waves, there's people, there's um, housekeeping people. Like I'm not hearing anything that doesn't have to do with my survival. So your, your brain is wired with conditional um, uh, things that it, it's always paying attention to where you're going to find food because you got to eat and you got to drink. You got to dr- know where water is and you got to have sex because you got to yep. procreate. So your, your brain is automatically wired to f- feel the vibes of somebody that you might procreate with, right? Like that's all subverbal. That's all part of your wiring. Mm-hmm. Then there's a conditioned response. And that is when just picture the little three-year-old Kimmy, four-year-old Kimmy that said, oh no, I'm not good enough. I'm not special. I'm only average. Whatever. You might've thought you were not smart, not perfect, not whatever, the, whatever the word was. Well, guess what? 
your brain doesn't sit there. Your reticular activating system, that's actually the, the technical part of the brain. I just call them mental bloodhounds. It's like you have given assent to that part of your brain and said, here's the truth. And you did it through emotions. Emotions is what are what this are what these dogs smell. This part of your brain smells it. It doesn't Love say, it. oh, honey, you are unconditionally loved and worthy and perfect just as you are. Don't, honey, you are perfect. Nope. It doesn't. Its job is not to do that. Its job is to say, your wish is my command. And you give them the scent through your emotions that you suck, that you're bad, that you're not good, that you're stupid, that you're average, that whatever. So mm-hmm. guess what? You've got lots of evidence for it's your brain's job. That part of your brain will only let in the data that it's confirmation bias. It's, it's how you only see what you believe to be true. You don't see counter evidence to that. You will never, it's like when you go buy a car, and you've chosen a red Honda Civic, right? You're excited about it. Like, yeah, what happens? What happens once you buy that car? Don't you start noticing them everywhere? Yes. Because those cars were always there, but you never gave it importance to your brain. You never told your brain those cars are important to you. So your brain filtered all of those out until you decided. And then all of a sudden it's like, what? Everybody buy a red Honda Civic right now? Um, well, it's, it's true. It's the same as when you're pregnant. Everyone's pregnant. Exactly. Exactly. So that's when you realize, oh, I just am going to emotionally, and this is a huge piece of what I do is emotionally, emotional infusion is what I call it, where we're going to, you have to, you cannot rewire cerebrally. You, we know enough right now to be completely perfect. If we were going by what we know in our logical brain, everybody would be perfect. That isn't where the work is done. The work is done. Now, Logically, right now, you're listening to me, and you can go, oh, that's interesting. I wonder how to do that. You can decide with your logical brain. That is who you're going to de- – what part of your brain you'll decide with now that you're an adult, now that you have that brain fully functioning. But once you do it, you've got to go back in emotionally and rewire. This is what I love about NLP, neuro-linguistic programming. This is what I love about the meditation process I have people do. This is the unwire, re- rewire process, the the fire-to-wire thing that you were cre- – those synapses were created from and you Mm -hmm. think they're just the truth you can actually go back in and hack it emotional hack it it's awesome love it yeah love it fantastic well can where can people reach out to you people want an initial consult if people who are listening they want to hear more and they're starting to go okay this is the stuff that i have been waiting for in terms of changing the directory of my life uh i need to reconnect with kim how can people reach out to you? Where can people buy your book? Well, the book's on Amazon in all three forms. I actually did the recording, which is really exciting because in Audible, because they, it was hard to find a studio that would let me do my own recording, by the way. And uh, I'm like, what? No, I'm doing my own recording. <laughs> Good so, for you. Yeah, I just held strong because I, well, first of all, I'm a speaker more than an author anyway. So I love to speak and I'm a good speaker and it's my stories and my passion comes through. So absolutely, I'm going to do the book. So you can get it print. It's not hardcover. It's just softcover, uh, Kindle and Audible. You can find me, Kim Fisk. Uh, F-I-S-K-E, but I think I've bought both of the demo, d- d- domains that even if you spell it wrong, it's okay. Kimfist.com. <laughs> I think you're going to find me both places. And then you can find me all over pretty much social media, just Kim, F-I-S-K-E. Um, you know, to be honest with you too, Lisa, I'm rather new at the 
because my whole world, my team, I have a really large uh, relationship marketing business where I've done, where I've cut my eye teeth on these kinds of things, but I haven't really needed to like go to the world to find people to work with because I've had them already in my current business. So uh, I'm not, I don't have an extensive, but I'm building it. I'm excited about it because I really want to expand my reach. So um, you can find me LinkedIn. You can find me. I'm really active on Facebook, uh, either mm-hmm. my personal page or my business page. Um, I, Instagram is relatively new for me and Twitter. I don't know, whatever Lovely. else. Yeah. Lovely. Well, I just want to say, Kim, this has been a dynamite interview. I can feel your energy. You're on fire and you're doing amazing things <laughs> in this you. space. And uh, this, you've just been such a joy and such a treat. And for people who I interview like you, where it just goes so fast, too fast, there's never enough yeah. minutes to cover everything. Uh, but I just want to say, I, al- I always take notes. I took massive notes. You and I are going to still continue to talk behind the scenes because yes. uh, you're just amazing. And Thank I'm a student you. of life. I'm always learning and I'm learning from the best. You're the best. So um, I just want to say to the listening audience as well, thank you once again for taking time out of your busy schedules for tuning in to myself here and Kim on Living Fearlessly with Lisa mcdonald i'm very clear on my purpose which is to uplift you to fear less and to live more looking forward to rejoining you again next friday with yet another phenomenal guest on living fearlessly with lisa mcdonald love and gratitude to you all take care all my best kim thank you bye-bye thank you lisa hey this is al cole from cbs radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of living fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Halton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. And until next week, our fearless friends, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio telling you to be your own hero, be your own hero, be your own leader, and be your own best friend. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.